Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell, also coming to you from Charlotte. We'd like to welcome you to this very special edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. On today's program, though, it's a little different. We're going to take a look at the top stories of the year, as identified by you, our Ministry Watch readers and listeners. These are the stories that got the most page views on the Ministry Watch website this year. We'll present the top 10, mention a few others, and provide a bit of commentary along the way. To see a much longer list, a list of the top 25 most viewed stories of the year, you can go to ministrywatch.com. Well, Warren, let's not keep people waiting. So what is the number 10 story on our list for this year? Well, number 10 is an investigation into St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. This investigation was originally done by the nonprofit journalism organization ProPublica. We reprinted this article as a part of our partnership with them. The article essentially said that hundreds of millions of dollars donated to St. Jude Hospital does not, in fact, go either to the care of children or to research, but to fundraising, to the creation of huge endowment funds, and to massive salaries. Warren, I have to say that of all the stories that we did this year, which was nearly a thousand stories, are you surprised that this ended up on the top 10? After all, it's not even really a Christian organization. Yeah, that's a great point, but Actually, I'm not surprised for a couple of reasons. First, though St. Jude is, as you said, not a Christian organization, it often aligns with well-known evangelicals. Amy Grant, for example, was a spokesperson for the organization for years. And secondly, St. Jude has taken a page out of the child sponsorship playbook written by such Christian organizations as Compassion International. This child sponsorship model has proven to be enormously effective as a fundraising technique and one that evangelical donors understand and respond to. And thirdly, Christians are people too, (laughs) despite what some in the mainstream media would have you think. And uh, the heartstring-tugging emotional appeals have had an impact. But the article suggests that they are deceptive or at least not telling the whole truth. Yeah, that's right. Only about half of the revenue to St. Jude goes to health care and research. And my recommendation is that if you really want to help children, find another organization to support. Well, let's move on to number nine on the list. It's the story of Hillsong founder Brian Houston stepping down in advance of going on trial in Australia. Yeah, we've done more than a dozen stories on problems at Hillsong over the past year or so, but the story that came in at number nine on our list was our article on the resignation of Brian Houston, the founder, uh, resigning from his leadership role there. That resignation came in September, just days before he was scheduled to go on trial for allegedly concealing inappropriate sexual activity by his father, who had also been active in ministry. 
The eighth most read story on the Ministry Watch website this year was actually a story that we published in 2020. Yeah, that's right. And I'll have something to say about that in a minute. But first, the story itself. In August of 2020, we published an extensive list of churches and ministries that received more than $1 million in payroll protection program loans. That story was one of the most viewed stories of 2020. In fact, it was number one on last year's list. And as you just said, it comes in at number eight on this year's list. And I think one of the reasons that this story has proven to have such a long tail is that it did something that I think we do pretty well here at Ministry Watch, and that is take an overwhelming amount of information and put it into a form that is both understandable and actionable. Lots of media outlets, for example, were doing PPP stories, but some of the organizations that were publishing those stories were publishing massive spreadsheets or databases uh, that had just been taken straight from the Small Business Administration. We synthesized the data into a usable form, and that's what we try to do with every story we do here at Ministry Watch. Well, our next story, number seven on the list, is one of the first stories that we published this year, and it's the story of charismatic preachers and their failed Trump prophecies. Yeah, some high-profile charismatic preachers, in fact, about 150 of them, prophesied that Donald Trump would be elected president. And when that didn't happen, it produced a lot of soul-searching in the charismatic and Pentecostal communities. Some of those preachers, a very few of them, though, one of them was Jeremiah Johnson of Charlotte, right here uh, where we are, Christina, repented of his failed prophecies and took a break from ministry. But most of them issued no apology or correction of any kind. They acted almost like it didn't happen. Uh, That caused other and more scrupulous charismatic leaders, and I would mention uh, Dr. Michael Brown, who lives again here in the Charlotte area, to issue a document in April uh, defining what it called prophetic standards. Uh, It was an attempt to identify what constitutes a true prophecy as defined in the biblical sense and what is merely a wish or a hope or an opinion. So will these standards do any good? Well, uh, I doubt much, maybe a limited good. It likely won't change the behavior of unscrupulous prophets, Uh, prophets that are just content to make these prophecies, see them not come true, and then just keep going like nothing happened. But it might provide their followers with a framework, some sort of guidance for identifying these guys as unscrupulous. So in that sense, it could be a wake-up call for those in the charismatic movement. Warren, our next story involves the Southern Baptist Convention. And they've certainly been in the news a lot this year over issues of sexual abuse, But the story that landed them at number six on our list had little or nothing to do with the sex abuse scandal. Yeah, that's right. It was the announcement in April 
that popular Southern Baptist speaker and teacher Beth Moore was leaving the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a huge deal because Beth Moore had been the highest profile woman in the SBC. And I think it's fair to say that the sexual abuse scandal in the SBC did, in fact, play something of a role. In the weeks prior to her departure, she had become increasingly outspoken about not just the sexual abuse scandal itself, but about how many Southern Baptist leaders had become better known for their political activism rather than for their preaching of the gospel. And when she left the SBC, she said that she was still a Baptist, but could no longer identify with the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, she did say that, though by year in, uh, it appears that she is no longer a Baptist either. In fact, she recently joined an Anglican church in her hometown in Texas. Warren, let's take a look at one more story before we break, and that's a story we published in 2020 and was one of our top 10 stories last year, but got more than 12,000 page views in 2021, which landed it on our list again, this time at number five. Yeah, that's the second story that we've talked about that was actually originally a 2020 story. And and I once again, I think that that is at least in part a function of what we are trying to do at Ministry Watch, which is to, you know, tell stories that have some significance that can provide sort of a historical record and historical accountability for uh, some of the high-profile preachers that we are writing about. Now, in this case, it's the story of televangelist Perry Stone, who, as we reported in September of 2020, admitted to acting inappropriately with female employees of his Tennessee-based ministry. He took a short break from ministry, but he's back. And in fact, in a recent Facebook uh, post, he criticized many watchdog groups, so he didn't name Ministry Watch by name. And I should also mention, Christina, that Perry Stone is back in the news again. A story published on Christmas Day by the Chattanooga Free Press says that he's now under investigation by federal authorities. Well, Warren, let's take a break. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break with the final four stories in our countdown of the top 10 stories of the year 2021. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to a special edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. We're counting down the top 10 stories of the year. Up next, 
the fourth most read story from 2021, and that's the story of resignations at the historic and influential Bethlehem Baptist Church. Yes, that church in Minneapolis is best known, perhaps, as the decades-long home of John Piper. Piper, though, retired in 2013, and Jason Meyer stepped into that role. It was not an easy transition, uh, and Meyer resigned in July, giving no explanation for his departure. However, others have gone public, claiming that Meyer exhibited a domineering, even a bullying management style. I can understand why this story might attract a lot of eyeballs. The church is influential, and any story with the name John Piper in it is likely to get picked up by search engines. Well, the bad news is that these stories of celebrity preachers and their bad behavior have been really common lately. And again, they do get picked up by search engines. That tends to magnify the stories. Uh, But I think it's also important to realize that one of the reasons they become so common is that people are now speaking out. And these victims, survivors, and whistleblowers have a way to do so, a way to be heard. Social media, of course, but also at times places like Ministry Watch, Christianity Today, World Magazine, and others have been doing some good investigative coverage. I should mention the Royce Report as well. I think what we may be seeing is the end of the evangelical church's infatuation with celebrity. I can't say for sure that that's what's happening, of course. Only time will tell. But if that is what's happening, I think that it could, in fact, be a good thing. Well, the next story in our countdown, number three, involves Christian apologist Josh McDowell. Yeah, Josh McDowell made statements at a conference that some people considered racially insensitive. He later apologized for the comments and has taken a break from public ministry in the aftermath of that incident. Warren, you know Josh McDowell. So what do you think about this incident? Well, you're right. I know and love Josh McDowell. He has been an encourager and a supporter of me for many, many years. So I I think in part, I should say that just as a point of self-disclosure as we report this story. Um, But I've heard what he said, and I do have to say that it was, in fact, racially insensitive. I think Josh himself would be the first to admit that. In fact, he was among the first to admit that. He issued a quick and sincere apology. He stepped away from ministry, and I think all of that is a good thing. Those are good next steps. Did he make a mistake? Absolutely. But I do think that if our ultimate concern here at Ministry Watch and in the evangelical community generally is repentance and restoration of those who have made mistakes, then we should celebrate, or if not actually celebrate, at least not pile on when something like this happens and the person who commits the sin or makes the mistake actually does the right thing to try to make amends. Well, that takes us to number two on our list, and that story involved the well-known media personality Glenn Beck. Beck helped raise about $30 million, supposedly to help transport Afghan Christians and others out of Afghanistan after the American pullout there back in August. Yeah, that's right. And Beck and the organization he's associated with 
claimed that they would provide transportation and aid for thousands of Afghan refugees. He worked with an organization called the Nazarene Fund, which is led by a man named Tim Ballard, who has been a controversial figure because of his work in the sex trafficking arena. In fact, his organization, Operation Underground Railroad, OUR, has been one that we've also reported on here at Ministry Watch over the last couple of years. But back to the Nazarene Fund, it announced ambitious plans to help the refugees and photos of refugees cramming onto airplanes as they departed from Afghanistan became a part of the narrative for both the Nazarene Fund and for the chaotic pullout from Afghanistan. However, it is not clear that all of that $30 million actually went to help Afghans. Our reporter Steve Raby took a close look at what happened to the money, and he discovered that it is hard to verify the claims that Beck and the Nazarene Fund were making. The Chronicle of Philanthropy encourages donors to beware of Afghan relief efforts. It reported that fundraising for Afghanistan has ramped up quickly. Uh, Groups giving money for Afghanistan relief are also benefiting from wall-to-wall news coverage uh, here in the United States, and that in turn increases pressure to give. Warren, we have now come to number one, and the most viewed story of the year on the Ministry Watch website isn't actually a story in the conventional sense, but one of Ministry Watch's monthly lists. Yeah, you know, one of the things that sets Ministry Watch apart is our database of the thousand largest Christian ministries in the nation. We call it, in fact, the Ministry Watch 1000. And in that database, we also collect salary information that we directly import from the Form 990s uh, into our database. We have the salaries of more than 5,000 Christian ministry executives, but the list that we publish each year of the top executive salaries is the list that always gets the most attention. We published it in January, and that means, by the way, that we will have the 2022 list available in just a few days. Uh, I've been already working on that list for the last couple of weeks with my database guru, Stephen DeBerry, and I can tell you that the man who topped the list last year, David Cirillo of the Inspiration Networks, will sit atop that list again this year. And his total compensation is more than $7 million. I can also tell you that there will be some interesting additions to the list this year, and we'll be doing more analysis of the list this year than we've ever done before. We'll be publishing the new list on Monday, January 3rd, and you won't want to miss it. Well, that concludes our list of Ministry Watch's top 10 stories of the year as judged by PageViews. Um, Any thought about that list before we wrap things up for the week and for the year? Well, just that Ministry Watch published, as you said earlier in the program, Christina, nearly a thousand stories in 2021. And whether you think these are the most important stories of the year or not, I do think the fact that these 10 received the most page views does tell us something about the state of evangelicalism these days. What we care about, and how we behave. Uh, That's why I think that such lists are 
in fact, important. I also want to thank everyone who read our stories this year or listened to our podcast or engaged with us in any way. We ended up with more than two and a quarter million page views on our site this year, which is a significant increase over the year before and and a dramatic, more than a doubling of the year before that. And our podcast listenership about doubled this year as well. So thank you for joining us in our quest to bring transparency and accountability to the evangelical church. Warren, this is also our last podcast episode of the year. So anything that you'd like to add as we wrap up the year? Well, I want to share with folks that uh, because this is the last podcast episode of the year, I hope that you will uh, indulge me to make a special appeal to those of you who like the podcast uh, and have been following us all year to give us a year-end gift. Ministry Watch is unique even among Christian media outlets in that we don't take advertising, we don't take money from the ministries we cover, we're completely independent. We serve our readers, our listeners, and donors who want to be more informed and effective stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to them. So if we have served you this year in any way, I hope you'll consider a small gift to keep us going in 2022. Our year-end goal is $68,000, and as of this moment, we've raised a little more than $40,000. That means we still have a ways to go between now and Friday night. As always, we want you to give to your local church first to carefully research Christian ministries second. But again, if we have helped you on your own journey of generosity this year, please consider a small gift to us as well. To donate, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen Dubarry, Emily Kern, and Casey Sedith. Writers who have made significant contributions to Ministry Watch this year include Ann Stike, Shannon Cuthrell, Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, and Bethany Starin. I'm Christina Darnell in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, and before I go, Christina, I want to add that you too should be on that list of significant contributors to Ministry Watch. I'm so grateful for your work as managing editor of Ministry Watch and for as you can hear, being a fill-in podcast host from time to time. And that reminds me to also thank my regular co-host, Natasha Smith. Until next time, I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next year, may God bless you. you.